Dead the From the heart of our nation's capital, here's Family Research Council President Tony Perkins. Good evening, everyone. Hope you have had a fantastic week, and welcome to this Friday edition of Washington Watch. I'm Jody Heiss, your Friday host and the senior uh, senior advisor to the president here at Family Research Council. So happy to have you on board with us, and we've got a tremendous program lined up for you. Let me go over some of the highlights that we'll be discussing. We have a national default possibly less than two weeks away. And unfortunately, talks between House Speaker Kevin McCarthy and the White House negotiation, the negotiators, it all fell through today. We decided to press pause because it's just not productive. What do you mean press pause? Just press and pause. And until people are willing to have reasonable conversations about how you can actually move forward and do the right thing, then we're not going to sit here and talk to ourselves. And we're not just going to sit around and talk to ourselves. That was Congressman Garrett Graves, who is the lead Republican negotiator. He was answering some questions from reporters on Capitol Hill earlier today. And I guess the question is, is it too late to reach a deal before we hit the dead ceiling? Well, I'll be talking with Congressman Pat Fallon about that here in just a few moments. And boy, oh boy, it was a bad week for the FBI. Between the Durham report and congressional testimony exposing the Bureau's political bias. Today, it's not just presidential campaigns. Today, it's the American people. They're the target. You don't, you're not politically correct. You're not in line with what they think should be the political position, the proper position. You're the target. The FBI was shellacked this week. That was Congressman Jim Jordan giving opening remarks yesterday at a hearing of the Select Subcommittee on the Weaponization of the Federal Government, which he chairs. Congressman Nathaniel Moran will be joining me to discuss that. And speaking of weaponization, the Biden administration has literally drawn a bead on school faith groups as what appears to be its next target. Uh, Obviously, if that happens, it's going to create an enormous vacuum where the liberal left will push horrible ideology in our schools. FRC's Meg Kilgannon will be talking with us about that a little bit later. And then finally, we've all seen all across the country horrific physical attacks on pregnancy resource centers. Well, now Democrats in many blue states are targeting these vital organizations for mothers with red tape and regulations. You don't want to miss what their scheme is. I'll be talking with Angie Thomas from the National Institute of Family and Life Advocates about that very important issue. So we've got a tremendous program lined up for you. And just a reminder, our website is TonyPerkins.com, where you can catch not only this episode, but past episodes from our archives. And we encourage you to keep that website readily available. All right, let's jump into the program for this evening While President Biden is in Japan for the G7 summit, we have the debt ceiling talks taking place here. House Speaker Kevin McCarthy's office and the White House negotiators, unfortunately, had a breakdown today in all their communications. And so what might have been any degree of optimism has now shriveled up and blown away. And Democrats in Congress, literally some of them yesterday, were grumbling that the White House negotiators would agree to pull back on reckless spending. Imagine Democrats upset that reckless spending 
might go away. And some within the Democratic Party are actually urging the president to invoke the 14th Amendment. Republicans are not serious about finding a solution. So we are urging President Biden to utilize his authority under the 14th Amendment of the Constitution. Wow, that was Democrat Senator Ed Markey yesterday. And did these calls from Democrats lead to the White House backtracking? Well, joining me now to discuss that and more is Congressman Pat Fallon. He serves on the House Committee on Oversight and Accountability, as well as the House Armed Services Committee. He represents the 4th Congressional District of Texas. Congressman Fallon, great to see you. Welcome back to Washington Watch. Jody, it's great to see you, my friend. God bless you. Well, God bless you as well, and thank you for joining us. I know you've got a lot of plates spinning in your world these days, but uh, listen, uh, Speaker McCarthy just this week expressed uh, a, at least a degree of optimism uh, about mm -hmm. the uh, debt ceiling talks, and yet it all seemed to break down today. From your understanding, what happened? Well, yeah, Jody, I was with Speaker McCarthy a couple of days ago when he had that press conference and he did express a lot of optimism and I thought a deal could be, you know, forged. But I think you're right. I think the theory of being that the, the Democrats on the Hill, the more radical element that we, Joe Biden has proven over the last two years to always cater to, pushed back about any kind of reasonable limits on spending. And Jody, let's look at the deal that we did pass. What it's going to do is if, if it became law intact, it would take the debt to GDP ratio from 118% and and actually reduce it finally to 106%. So while that's not where we need to land, that's a good first step. And then it would just accept it free spending and would be a 1% growth annually over the next decade. And guess what? We're just asking the Democrats to accept, accept spending that they just touted four months ago. So it's just they're being incredibly unreasonable and it's very unfortunate. And, and Garrett Graves' body language was not promising when he walked out of that room. Yeah, it really wasn't. I agree wholeheartedly with you. And, you know, I mean, we're talking about pre-COVID spending levels, mm -hmm. and everyone understands that during the pandemic, spending went up. There were a host of issues taking place to try to uh, cover and help the, the safety of the American citizens and so forth. Uh, but now those days are over. The pandemic is over. And to go back to the spending, uh, they are absolutely, you're correct, they're the unreasonable ones, unwilling to go back. They want to maintain a bunch of reckless spending. Uh, how how mm -hmm. are we going to get over this hurdle? Well, you know, it, it, there, there's a financial day of Armageddon approaching. And whether it's going to be tomorrow in a week or in five years or 10, it's going to happen if we don't correct our, you know, the error of our ways. We cannot continually spend, really continuously spend, more than we take in. A go, you know, a state government can't do it. Dis school districts, cities, counties, and we personally. But somehow the federal government can, and the Democrats are perfectly fine with that. Because, Jody, you knew you were there. You saw that they had no realistic or reasonable um, plans to balance the budget ever. They just want to keep spending because what they're doing is they're spending and they're pandering for votes so they can win the next election. And that's very unfortunate. But with this issue has got to be addressed and it's got to be addressed now because we have China looming and they would like nothing more than for the international community to trade in the yuan and not in the dollar. 
Uh, Pat, I love the way you, you express the, these complicated issues and bring it down in such a way that everyone can understand. And when you say they are pandering for votes, I mean, that is what's going on. In fact, I want to play a clip here for you from uh, Minority Leader Hakeem Jeffries. Uh, play clip five, and I want to get your reaction to this. We find ourselves uh, in the midst of a GOP-manufactured default crisis because House Republicans have chosen to try and hold our economy, our small businesses, everyday Americans hostage to unreasonable ransom demands. Yes, talk I about pandering votes. How do you respond to this? I had to use my glasses, Jody, to see on the screen <laughs> what these posters were. I got caught there. Well, listen, Hakeem Jeffries is highly intelligent. He's also very dangerous because he is a, an effective demagogue. He's a, he's, a, he's a really good speaker, and he can communicate well. Now, what he's saying, the content of what he says, is completely false. It's, it's taken out of context, um, and it, it's not what we all value, which is truth in context. So it's the same old stuff. Remember Paul Ryan, you know, had a plan to balance the budget and they had these TV ads where they were pushing grandma off a cliff. We are spending, this is what the Democrats don't, this is the uh, one of those inconvenient truths to borrow an Al Gore um, phrase. We are spending $400 billion a year right now, Jody, on the interest on the debt. $400 wow. billion with a B. Think of the wow. things that could be done with that money. I think that we were running some cocktail napkin math in our office last week. We think that it's every 18 to 22-year-old could go to a state college, at least tuition paid, for free in the entire country for $400 billion. And that's we're throwing it essentially in a furnace. And the Democrats, Jody, are perfectly fine with continuing to do that until that number reaches, what, a trillion? This has got to be addressed. That's a staggering figure. Uh, it's just it's it's mind boggling to me. Listen, Congressman, if I can, I'd like to switch gears. You also serve on the House Oversight Committee, which you and I served on together. Uh, and you, you guys have so much going on right now, investigating the uh, corruption within the Biden family. Can you give us the latest update into that particular probe? Yes. So what we've now, there's something called a, a SAR. It's a suspicious activity report. And financial institutions by law are required to file them if they see something that looks like fraud, could be uh, money laundering, so sexual trafficking, things of that nature. And you could go your entire life, most Americans go through their entire life with none generated by their own financial activity. The Biden family has had somewhere in the neighborhood of between 170 to 250 SARs filed on their financial uh, transactions. So that's really, really odd. Case in point, you got Hunter Biden, who was a derelict, an adult derelict by any definition, and then becomes an international success and a multimillionaire businessman. The only thing that changed is his dad became vice president. They formed 20 shell companies, and he, uh, he we don't know what they do. Nobody can define. Even the Democrats can't tell us what service is provided or what product is sold. And yet, $10 million, we know for sure right now, it was a million dollars only a couple of weeks ago because these SARs, Jody, members of Congress have always had access to them until Joe Biden became president. And any SAR, depending on, it didn't matter what individual it was generated for. But they, they denied us that access until we had subpoena power and became uh, the, the majority party in the House. And now we know it's $10 million wired by foreign nationals and foreign entities, some very close to the Chinese Communist Party wired to Hunter Biden, but they weren't just directly wired to Hunter Biden. 
shell company after shell company to a business associate to then Hunter and then to other members of the Biden family. Unbelievable. Listen, I want I want to get to you've got a you you are uh, the chair of a subcommittee. I want to get to a hearing that you had, but one of the issues. Uh, Congressman, I hear you here frequently is where is all this going? Uh, just real mm-hmm. briefly, are, are there going to be any uh, prosecutions? Is, it, is anyone going to get in trouble for these uh, major uh, problems that we're having, be it through the weaponization or the Biden family? Mm-hmm. Are we going to see indictments? Yeah, what we're doing on our end is we're going where the evidence leads us. And if the Biden family's clean, then fine. Now, if they were clean, I think they would have, quote, unquote, come clean a couple of years ago and simply said, hey, here's all our financial records. I have nothing to hide. Check it out. But they didn't do that. They did the exact opposite. So are there going to be indictments? Hard to say yet, Jody, because we have only uncovered the tip of the iceberg. There's We've only been subpoenaing records of known business associates, bank records. We haven't gone after Hunter Biden's yet because what they would do there, Hunter and Joe, they just lawyer up for the next year and a half to just to go past the November uh, election. And then with the weaponization of the, the FBI, there's so much we still don't know. The whistleblowers that testified in front of Jim Jordan's committee, it just so happens that all four of them had their security clearances revoked. But the Democrats are trying to argue that that wasn't retaliation. Clearly it was. And if what they're saying is true, then people should be fired and people should be indicted. There's no doubt about that. Absolutely. Congressman, I'm going to have to leave it there, but thank you, Congressman Pat Fallon. Thanks for your leadership and all you do. Thanks for coming on the program this evening. Thanks, Jody. Anytime. God bless. Take care. Have a great weekend. All right, friends, coming up, Congressman Nathan Moran will join me to talk about the FBI's horrible week. You don't want to miss what's coming up. Stay tuned. We'll be back right after this break. Today, more than ever, men need a reminder of what biblical manhood looks like and to understand God's good design for them, to serve as provider, instructor, battle buddy, defender, and chaplain. They need a battle plan to truly live out their role. Family Research Council's Lieutenant General Jerry Boykin and Dr. Keenan Kirtan's book, Strong and Courageous, a sequel to Man to Man, offers this battle plan so that men can pursue their God-given responsibility in a culture quickly turning away from God's design. The authors unpack the Old Testament book of Joshua as the focus of their study, asking readers to look to his leadership to help consider and apply the key principles of biblical manhood. It's time for men to accept their role in the family and community and truly embrace their God-given purpose. To order your copy of Strong and Courageous, A Call to Biblical Manhood, go to frc.org slash strongandcourageous. Again, that's frc.org slash strongandcourageous. Christians must be sure to faithfully think about the issues that have taken our culture and many of our churches by storm from a biblical perspective. Family Research Council's David Clausen, along with co-authors Denny Burke and Colin Smothers, released a new book, Male and Female, He Created Them, a study on gender, sexuality, and marriage to help Christians better grasp the Bible's teaching about these issues. This study presents a biblical view of homosexuality, transgenderism, and marriage. With this new resource, readers will be given guidance on specific 
specific questions related to preferred pronouns, identity, intersex conditions, and other matters that our churches must be discipling their members to respond to with love and biblical conviction. As part of the study, readers have access to supplemental videos by Dr. Albert Moeller, Dr. Heath Lambert, Reverend H.B. Charles, Dr. Christopher Yuan, Dr. Rosaria Butterfield, and others that expand and elaborate the themes of each chapter. To purchase a copy, go to hecreatedthem.org. Today we find that global persecutions of Christians is growing more menacing every year. Family Research Council's Leela Gilbert, Ariel Del Turco, and Lieutenant General Jerry Boykin's book, Heroic Faith, shares personal stories from those who have endured religious persecution and gives a close look at the dire situations Christians often face due to dangerous and sometimes deadly opposition to their faith. The book's true stories of persistence and faithfulness amidst crisis offer inspiration and hope. Heroic Faith also provides insights into the ideologies driving the hostility and persecution, what steps the U.S. government might take to help, and how readers can best respond to the struggles of the faithful. It is critical for us to learn from our brothers and sisters who are suffering deeply and to do whatever we can to help. You can get your copy of Heroic Faith wherever books are sold or by going to frc.org slash heroic faith. Again, that's frc.org slash heroic faith. Welcome back to Washington Watch. We appreciate you joining us this evening. I'm Jody Heiss, your host on this Friday. All right, yesterday, tempers flared at a House Select Committee hearing on the weaponization of the government. Uh, there were some FBI whistleblowers there, and they exposed just how politicized the FBI has become. And while doing so, to me, is quite disturbing how Democrats uh, on the subcommittee, literally portrayed these whistleblowers as a bunch of disgruntled employees testing conspiracy theories. Look, I served on the on the oversight committee myself, and so many of the Democrats, time and time again, came to the defense of whistleblowers. But now, when whistleblowers are going against their narrative, they accuse them of being a bunch of disgruntled employees. But nonetheless, we have these continued hits on the FBI's reputation, and it's coming, by the way, on the same week that the Durham report exposed the absolute uh, political bias that exists within the Bureau. So the question is, can the FBI recover its public image? Well, joining me now to discuss this and more is Congressman Nathaniel Moran. He serves on the House Judiciary Committee the House Foreign Affairs Committee, and the House Education Committee. He represents the 1st Congressional District of Texas. Congressman Moran, thank you for joining us. Welcome back to Washington Watch. Thank you, Jody. It's a pleasure to be here with you today. Well, it's always great to have you as well. All right, listen, uh, between the Durham report and the Weaponization Committee's whistleblowers, uh, the FBI has had a pretty rough week, wouldn't you say? It was a rough week, and especially for uh, the FBI, who had the light shown on the activities that they've been conducting the last uh, several years. This is exactly why we needed a weaponization subcommittee under the Judiciary Committee to look into what is the government doing against its own private citizens. It's astounding to know that the government that's established to help to try to protect our rights and preserve our rights and help us as individuals have 
simply reverse that back and are, are cramping down on our individual rights and trying to um, trying to go after us for our political beliefs, which is effectively what they're supposed to try to defend us for. Yeah, you know, you're spot on on that. That in itself is exactly what was so troubling uh, in that hearing yesterday. And it was brought out, I saw Congressman Jordan specifically bring it out, that the American citizens are now the target. This is so disturbing. What What is it from your perspective that that came out of the hearing yesterday, revelations to you perhaps that were new or at least perhaps went uh, into a greater arena of confirmation that was troubling? What did you hear that was bothersome? One of the things that was very uh, troubling to me was this idea that they were somehow in the in the FBI monetizing incentives for FBI field offices to increase the number of cases that were classified as domestic violent um, offenses. I mean, this this domestic violent extremism, the DVE, as they call it, and for field offices to feel that pressure to all of a sudden take nothing burgers and to elevate them up to actual federal crimes and to classify them as domestic violent extremists just so they can get a bigger paycheck seemed to me to be contrary to to the rule of law, contrary to their mission. Their mission is to defend the American public, not to somehow take ordinary Americans and turn them into extremists or terrorists. And one of the things that Chairman Jordan said uh, yesterday in this uh, subcommittee hearing was, was telling, he said, you know, whether, whether you're a, uh, a pro-lifer who's just peacefully demonstrating at a clinic, or you're a Catholic going to mass, uh, or you're just an ordinary citizen in everyday life, all of a sudden now you're the target of investigation if your political beliefs do not align with the left. That's what the FBI, their leadership has turned into. There's so many great FBI field agents out there that want to do a good job. And we saw some of them yesterday that were trying to expose what was going on, but the leadership in the FBI has gone awry. And I, that, that is so right. There are some good people there. But, you know, it's the, the old rotten apples that spoil the whole bunch. I, I wanted to play this clip for you and get your reaction. The ranking member of the subcommittee uh, literally accused Republicans of being anti-FBI. I want to play, if we will, clip nine. I'd like to get your response to this. My colleagues on the far right are on a mission to attack, discredit, and ultimately dismantle the FBI. This is defund the police on steroids. Wow. What do you say to that? I tell you what we're on a mission to do, and that is expose and to hold to account those that are working contrary to the rule of law. We were just in Manhattan a few weeks ago, the Judiciary Committee, having an extended and very heated debate about what Alvin Bragg is doing there in New York City, and that's emblematic of what's going on across the nation as it relates to uh, the purported upholding of the rule of law by Democrats. And truthfully, it's nothing more than undercutting the rule of law and going after those who politically disagree with it. We've seen it with Alvin Bragg going after President Trump, and now this young man in the subway that was defending other individuals on the subway, he's being prosecuted just simply because of political pressure in in New York City. And that is so unfortunate. It really is. Yeah, I want to play one more clip here for you because these are just disturbing clips to me. Again, Representative Plaskett, where she's uh, really accusing MAGA Republicans for being a threat to the rule of law. Uh, Play clip eight, please. 
this hearing is evidence, as if we need it anymore, that MAGA Republicans are a threat to the rule of law in America. Wow. That's astounding. Yeah, what do you say? Well, what I tell you is an affront to the rule of law, and that is we need whistleblowers in our government to come forward when there's something going on. That's what account- That's where accountability can best be, uh, be had, because those folks are in the middle of it. They know what's going on behind the closed doors. We need them to come forward and to expose the light when things are going contrary to what should happen in government. And yesterday, it's the Democrats and the liberals that expose themselves as being anti-rule of law by going after the very whistleblowers that we need. We need in government. And we've seen over, over generations that it happens in both types of intimate administration that government gets too big and if it's not accountable it gets it gets like a runaway train we need folks on that train that can pull that brake and say wait this is not what government is supposed to do yesterday we had those whistleblowers bravely telling their stories and we had democrats pushing back saying we don't want to hear it and then attacking them personally congressman nathaniel moran thank you so much for joining us on washington watch again always an honor to have you sir My pleasure, Jody. Keep up the great work. Thanks. You too, my friend. Thank you. All right, friends, stay tuned. Coming up, the Biden administration now is going after religious clubs at schools. You don't want to miss what's coming your way right after this break. Stay tuned. Men are constantly told that there is no place for their thoughts and concerns about abortion. However, this attitude ignores the fact that both women and men are deeply and personally affected by abortion. Furthermore, one does not have to be a woman to know that abortion ends the life of an innocent, unborn child. Every man has a role to play in protecting unborn lives and supporting the mothers in their families and greater community, which is why FRC's Center for Human Dignity has released a resource titled A Man's Guide to Standing for Life. This resource was created to help men positively address the topic of life. This guide will equip men with phrases to utilize or avoid as well as practical tips for helping to protect life and the expectant mother or unborn child he knows. Every man has the opportunity to be an unborn baby's hero by stepping in to support a mother and speaking up for her child's life. Get this free guide at frc.org slash men to learn more about the important role men play in protecting unborn lives. Have you seen the Now We Live series? It is a six-week worldview Bible study created in partnership with Family Research Council and Summit Ministries. This video series was put together to help Christians propel faith into action. It offers six free videos to prompt rich discussions about some of life's most foundational questions among churches, small groups, and families. Each video is led by well-known Christian voices and addresses questions regarding worldview, Jesus, truth, identity, and society. It's so important for Christians to both know the truth and to live in a way that is compatible with the truth. Being grounded in what is true and living out God's grace allows a believer's faith to truly transform one's own life and ultimately help transform a broken world. Equip yourself and other Christians to learn more about what it means to truly hold a biblical worldview. Access this important series by going to frc.org worldview. Again, go to frc.org worldview. Washington Watch. I'm your Friday host, Jody Heiss. An honor to be sitting in for Tony, and thank you for joining us this evening. All right, the Biden administration is on the march yet again, and this time they have religious clubs 
at schools in their crosshairs. You may remember last year the Supreme Court made a decision that actually said that a high school football coach does have the right to pray after the games. Well, I think the Biden administration is still reeling from that, and now they have a counterattack to water down or perhaps even remove protections for religious clubs in the schools. And, of course, by removing faith from schools, the left is literally creating a vacuum in which they can inject radical ideologies, things like CRT and the LGBT uh, Q agenda and things of that nature. So joining me now to discuss this is Meg Kilgannon. She's the Senior Fellow for Education Studies here at the Family Research Council. Meg, welcome back to the program. Thanks for having me, Jody. Always great to see you and appreciate you filling in. So let's uh, let, let's talk about this. What is the Biden administration attempting to do as what appears to be an outright attack on religious clubs in schools? Well, the, the Trump administration had issued uh, prayer and religious expression guidance previously, and it was the first update to that guidance in about 10 years. And it restated very clearly the constitutional protections that are provided for people of faith in public schools. And so when the Biden administration reissued this guidance, it, it removed all of that language and went to great lengths to make the point that students cannot be, you know, quote unquote, coerced to pray. And it, it sort of reminded me earlier this year, there was a story on Washington Watch about a woman in England who'd been arrested for standing outside uh, an abortion clinic. And she was accused of praying in her head, if you recall that story. I do. I mean, th this is sort the sort of mentality that we're starting to develop in this country with guidance like this being offered. They have no problem compelling speech when it comes to pronouns, but when, heaven forbid, someone somewhere near a school building might be saying a prayer aloud, that's a crisis. Wow. Great point there, because they really do. They push this pronoun stuff all over the place, but I dare not allow anyone to pray. I also understand that part of this is allowing anyone to be part of the leadership team of these organizations and, uh, you know, to allow perhaps a non-believer to be in leadership does nothing but water down the entire organization from the inside out. Is that correct? Right. The, the, that protection in particular is something that is definitely a problem in colleges when uh, college clubs are not allowed to choose or, or to restrict leadership positions to people who hold to the doctrines of the faith that the club is there to honor. And so the Trump administration put in protections specifically for that for high school and middle school students, because we always anticipate that everything that's happening in college will get pushed down into the lower grades eventually. So um, yeah. that protection has been removed. And I'm sure all of this is being done in the name of equity. We've, we've seen the uh, time and again, the horrors that come out of the, this push for so-called equity. But is it, I mentioned this, I don't want to make sure I'm accurate, but by them removing faith, it really does create an open door for them to then fill the gap with their liberal left-wing ideologies, things like CRT and LGBTQ agenda and all that sort of stuff. Is that what's going to end up replacing these religious clubs? 
Well, I think that um, that the problem really goes back even much further than that with the removal of prayer from the school. Um, it, it really represented uh, a removal of, you know, a religious sentiment from the whole of society. And this is something that I think the left in our country has appreciated a little more than the right, sadly, um, in many cases, is that, you know, the, the young people being being well-grounded in a faith experience, um, even, even a rote prayer uttered at, at, during school time, right, it is an acknowledgement of the almighty in, in even the most benign way. And so we see now so many people who are raised with no religion at all. And, and they will in the by under the Biden administration, of course, be protected from any encounter with that kind of religious expression. if it's up to the folks at the department of education. Wow. Well, you know, real quickly, I know our time's running out, and I've got two questions. Let me hit the first one real quickly, and if you will, uh, be kind of quick, because I want to get to one final one. But what do these clubs do? These these clubs have rights. Uh, what's next in the process? Sure. Uh, club, any any religious club on, a, on a, a high school or middle school or elementary school campus has the right to the same access to facilities, to uh, staff support, to offer services that any other club that's non-religious also has. So that remains true. That's always been true. And that absolutely remains true. Okay. 30 seconds here. We've had yet another case, someone trying to read some library book material that in essence is just pornographic, but the talking points from the media uh, is just so hypocritical uh, and dishonest about this. Where are we going on this argument? Well, I think you're, that's a great example of the what's filling the void you spoke of earlier in this in this interview. I mean, that is the kind of material that we're going to find in our schools, and it is absolutely imperative for parents to remove their children from those school settings and insert themselves into the school system, because we cannot leave a void as Christians. We have to be engaged with the school system and make sure that our views are represented. Meg Kilgannon, thank you so much. We appreciate it. All right, friends, coming up, the attacks on pregnancy resource centers continue. We'll talk about it right now. Are you prepared to pray, vote, and stand for biblical truth? It is imperative that Christians pray for their community and culture to steward their role as a citizen by voting and to stand for biblical truth. This means that Christians must be intentional about seeking after the Lord in all things. You can join Family Research Council and FRC Action President Tony Perkins in this mission as he hosts the Pray, Vote, Stand broadcast to inspire brothers and sisters in Christ to turn their attention to the Lord first and in every compartment of their lives. Tony is joined by experts, elected leaders, and Christian leaders for this weekly half-hour program to help you see through the fog created by the biased mainstream media. Watch the Pray, Vote, Stand weekly broadcasts and commit to pray for our nation, to stand for truth, and to seek the Lord first, just go to prayvotestand.org. Again, that's prayvotestand.org.
Tech censorship is on the rise. Big tech companies are attempting to cancel conservatives and Christians, which is why here at Family Research Council, we've decided to be proactive so that big tech cannot silence us completely. FRC has a text subscription platform to be sure we can continue to keep you in the loop. That way, you can still find updates on faith, family, and freedom. You can get FRC's content straight to your phone. Just sign up for our text alerts by texting STAND to 67742. Again, you simply text STAND to 67742, and FRC will send you special alerts on the issues that matter to you. By subscribing, you'll also be one of the first to know about our upcoming events and programs. All of this info is yours with just a simple text. You'll have access to content that will help you continue to stand for faith, family, and freedom. And you'll know about opportunities to connect with like-minded community. Just text STAND to 67742 and be the most informed person you know. Finding a quality news source today in this media-saturated world can be incredibly difficult. It is important to stay informed on what is going on in the world, but you need a news source you can trust. That is why Family Research Council created The Washington Stand, an online news platform with a mission to provide readers with free, factual news stories and commentaries all from a biblical worldview. Based in Washington, D.C., our reporters provide reliable information on the most crucial issues of the day, ranging from breaking news on the hottest Supreme Court decisions to details on the latest public education stories, updates to domestic and international religious liberty cases, and more. We want you and your family to stay informed on what is happening in the world that affects faith, family, and freedom. Be encouraged, be in the know, and stand firm in truth by visiting WashingtonStand.com today. That's WashingtonStand.com. Welcome back to this Friday edition of Washington Watch. I'm your Friday host, Jody Heiss, an honor to be sitting in for Tony. All right, uh, Democrats are eyeing a new approach to target pregnancy resource centers across the country. Of course, we have all seen the extreme attacks on these centers over the past year as the left literally acts out a temper tantrum ever since the Roe v. Wade uh, was, was overturned. But pregnancy resource centers now are facing yet another form of attack. Lawmakers in blue states in multiple places across the country are attempting to regulate these crucial services for pregnant mothers literally out of existence. In 2023 alone, this year, the Democrat state lawmakers across the country introduced 26 bills attempting to restrict the, restrict the pregnancy resource centers. And literally what they're trying to do is just bury them beneath a, a, a red tape and a mountain of regulations. And of course, it's the pregnant mothers who are in need who suffer from all of this. Well, joining me now to discuss this and more is Angie Thomas. She's a general counsel at the National Institute of Family and Life Advocates. Angie, welcome to Washington Watch. Thank you for having me. Well, it is an honor indeed. All right, the the left is uh, enraged. I, I don't think any of us would disagree with this ever since the Dobbs decision. And the pregnancy resource centers across the country appear to be very much in the line of fire. Is that just the environment that we're living in right now? 
You know, it is, and it, it is sort of surprising to me that their anger is being taken out on pregnancy resource centers, the ones who are these quiet heroes and offering help and love and support. But the reality is that these pregnancy centers are empowering women. And when women are empowered, they choose life. And that certainly puts a dent in the profit margins of the abortion industry. So that's why they're being attacked. Yeah, I couldn't agree with you more. I mean, these are incredible. I know you have worked at them. I've worked at them. My wife has been very much involved over the years. And you've got some people who are sincerely committed to the well-being of these uh, young pregnant mothers. Uh, And of course, these pregnancy resource centers enjoy the same constitutional rights as anyone else. Uh, Several years back, I'm sure you recall this, state legislators in California uh, passed laws to restrict uh, pregnancy resource centers, uh, but it was all finally ruled as unconstitutional. So these centers have been under attack for quite a while, but now it's concerning to me that these attacks are taking on a clever new twist. Uh, Tell us a little bit about what's going on right now. Yes, we have seen many attacks on pregnancy centers, you know, back in the the court case that you were just referring to was Nifla versus Becerra. And the court made it abundantly clear that pregnancy centers can't be forced to to say things that are, um, you know, not in line with our beliefs. So now we're seeing a slightly new approach, um, but some of the same old stuff that, uh, you know, we see it as bullying tactics from these states that can get this legislation passed in those states, those left states, but that they're not going to, you know, uh, be upheld in court when they're challenged. And we stand ready at NIFLA. We stand ready to support and protect these pregnancy centers that are doing so much good work. Um, but some of the more um, egregious ones in Colorado, they are trying to say that the abortion pill reversal protocol is considered unprofessional conduct which is just bizarre that the use of progesterone would be considered unprofessional conduct. Um, They're looking at um, New Jersey and Arizona are also um, looking at bills that are requiring physicians to do ultrasounds, which I'm sure that the abortion clinics, um, the abortion facilities are not required to do that. But yet these legislators are looking for any creative way to try to shut down these pregnancy centers. I mean, wouldn't you say most of these are going to fall by the wayside? I mean, again, these resource centers are providing services to these women, and they've been doing so for a long time. They provide, most of the services are absolutely free. They're there literally to help. And a lot of these regulations, red tape that you're referring to, uh, wouldn't you think that most of this stuff is not going to succeed in the long run? Yes, I, I would. I wouldn't think that they would succeed. And, you know, if they spent half the time that they are spending on these attacks, actually providing help to women, we might be able to do some good, right? But the, these attacks just prove to me and to, to so many of us that the abortion industry is not about choice at all. It's about abortion. The pregnancy centers represent those other choices of parenting and adoption. And yet the only choice that they want out there is abortion. And that's why they continue to attack with these with these uh, really you know, unsubstantial uh, leg- pieces of legislation that will be challenged. Well, I think you're spot on there. Abortion is the issue for them. It is the sacred cow, and they will do anything to protect it. For those who are watching and or listening right now who would like to be involved, 
What would you recommend? What can anyone do? Well, I, I would say first, please pray for our pregnancy centers, for all of those who work and, and support pregnancy centers. Um, it's just such a difficult work right now. And uh, yet everyone is so committed to, to continuing to provide this hope and help to women. Um, I would also say to certainly find out your who your local pregnancy center is and um, ask them how you can support them. And then uh, thirdly, I would say to reach out to your legislators and make them aware of the good work of pregnancy centers, that we are providing free services. We're not making anyone walk in our doors. We are just providing this wonderful service to women in need and that the community needs pregnancy centers. Thank you so much, Angie Thomas. We appreciate so much the tremendous work that you're doing. And uh, thank you for taking time out of your schedule to join us this evening on Washington Watch. Thank you. All right, friends, when you consider the life-affirming services that these pregnancy resource centers provide to young mothers uh, supporting women's health, it's, it's heartbreaking and infuriating to see them targeted. Uh, and so continuing this conversation, the path that we're on, I'm uh, honored now to be joined by Mary Zock. She's the director of the Center for Human Dignity here at the Family Research Council. Mary, welcome back to Washington Watch. Thanks so much for having me on again. Always great to have you. All right, let me just get your overall reaction to what Angie was just talking about, how these blue state lawmakers are targeting pregnancy resource centers all across the country. Well, I think this is really showing where the the pro-abortion lawmakers um, heart is on this issue. This is this is not about choice for women. This is about promoting abortion, promoting the killing of an unborn child and about ensuring that women who who even think about abortion don't feel like they have any other options. The, the decision to try to shut down a pregnancy resource center is a decision to try to close a woman off, to, to make her think her only option is to have an abortion. And I want to point out that they're impacting women who have never even considered abortion as well. We know that a number of moms who are just in need visit pregnancy resource centers. We know that the law in Colorado that would make it make it illegal to prescribe progesterone, that could in fact that could in fact affect women like me who who struggle with a progesterone deficiency and would not be able to carry an unborn child to term without the assistance of progesterone. So there are a lot of major issues with what the pro-abortion industry is doing. But one thing is very clear. They don't care about women. Yeah, great point. And, you know, while you were talking about it, it just hit me. They claim to be pro-choice but they really don't want women to have any other choice. They want abortion, period, with no other choice. So even the terminology describing what they want people to view them as uh, is in itself totally hypocritical and erroneous. Uh, but as maddening as all of this is, the, the entire topic and the attacks that are coming against these resource centers. We are nonetheless, Mary, seeing some incredible momentum uh, continuing to protect life. In fact, I just got word that we've got some breaking news coming out in Nebraska, and I want you to fill us in on that here in just a moment. But before we get there, just overall, 
talk to us about the momentum that's happening across the country to protect life. Well, we're seeing states move to protect more unborn children. We saw North Carolina override a governor veto to move their state from only protecting children after 20 weeks to protecting children after 12 weeks. And that is a position that almost 70% of Americans agree with. 69% of Americans believe that an unborn child should be protected after three months of pregnancy. And so this is not a radical move. This is this is moving us in line with the with honestly, with the rest of the world and in line with American values. In South Carolina, we've seen that they're advancing a heartbeat protection, which I love the heartbeat protections because they 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 save so many unborn babies' lives and they really highlight that there is a beating heart there. There is a person who's there. And an abortion ends that heartbeat and an abortion kills that unborn child. And this is a position that over 50% of Americans agree with. So again, not some sort of extremist radical law. The extremist position is what the abortion industry wants, which is to kill an unborn child and they want to be able to do that up until the moment of birth. They want that to be paid for by you and me. I want to highlight what you just said, Mary, because that is an outstanding point, something that needs to be driven home in the heart and mind of all of our viewers, as well as legislators, both in Washington and across the entire country in various states, that the radical position in all of this is to kill a human life up to the point of natural birth. That is radical beyond belief. It's horrifying. The radical position is not to save life. And that's what this argument is about. We are not anti-abortion. We are pro-life. We are here to protect the life of an innocent child and how you just described that as as redefining that which is radical versus that which is not, I think it underscores an extremely important point that needs to be talked about. Uh, it needs to be understood. And that needs, don't you think, to be the primary message? Absolutely. And th- and that's why I love the legislation out of Nebraska that, that worked to protect unborn children in the womb and work to protect children outside the womb. Because guess what? They're both human beings. They're both children of God. They're both irrepeatable, wonderfully made. And and they're here on this earth for a purpose and their lives make a difference. And what we're working towards is protecting those human beings. We're not here to to take away rights. We're here to give women actual options and and to help solve the problems that they're struggling with. Okay, so let's go down uh, this path of what just happened in Nebraska today. This is the breaking news that literally just a moment before you came on the program, I was informed. So walk us back uh, maybe a couple of months or whatever, uh, what the bill is and uh, what makes this such an important issue today? Well, so this bill in Nebraska combined protections for unborn children after 12 weeks with protections for minors from these uh, gender transition surgeries. Um, and, And so it is really a union of these two issues that that some may think are are not 
closely related. But as I mentioned, these are both about protecting children. And we know that Planned Parenthood, that is the largest abortion provider in America, is also one of the largest providers of these gender gender hormone therapies. And, and we know that Planned Parenthood is doing this because they want to make money. They don't care about children. They don't care about children in the womb. They don't care about children outside the womb. And, and so that's what they're working towards. And I, and I applaud the Nebraska state legislature for, for working to protect children and to, and to make sure that, that children at every stage are cared for. Is this the first of its kind in the country to combine the two? I know there's been several bills that have passed to protect children from the transgender surgeries, uh, minors and that type of thing. But is this the first, I think you said this was the first in the country to combine a strong pro-life position with the uh, transgender protections? Well, it's certainly a unique approach, and and it's one that you know in Nebraska, where where we do have strong pro-lifers. As I said, seven out of ten Americans are in support of protecting life after twelve weeks, um, and and so this is a creative approach, and and perhaps one that we'll be seeing more often. So, where does this go from here? It passed the legislature. Uh, is is it now headed to the governor's desk? Well, once the governor signs the legislation, it will go into effect protecting unborn children's lives. Um, so we're going to pray and, and hope, and um, we're, we're going to see this come to fruition. Well, listen, it's uh, fantastic news, and I know this is an issue that you've been keeping a pulse on for a long, long time, and uh, several of us had had some conversations about this coming down the pipe, and for finally... It to be here and to be passed is big, big news for both pro-life, uh, the pro-life community, as well as those trying to protect children from the transgender. Mary Zock, I want to thank you so much for taking your time to come on Washington Watch this evening. God bless you. Have a great weekend. Thanks so much. You too. Thank you. All right, friends, that wraps it up for this week and for this Friday edition of Washington Watch. I hope you have a fantastic weekend and keep your eyes on the Lord. We'll see you next week. Washington Watch with Tony Perkins is brought to you by Family Research Council and is entirely listener supported. Portions of the show discussing candidates are brought to you by Family Research Council Action. For more information on anything you've heard today or to find out how you can partner with us in our ongoing efforts to promote faith, family, and freedom, visit TonyPerkins.com. Also, to leave a comment about Washington Watch, call our watch line at 1-866-372-7234. That's 1-866-372-7234.